I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Did you sense the bumping of a tugboat this week? Now, this requires having heard the message last week, and then you'd understand why you're a tanker, because we made the analogy that we're like the big tanker, and God's Spirit's like the tugboat turning us one bump at a time. If you heard the message last week, how many of you can say that, yes, you did hear the voice, you did feel the tug, that old tugboat this week? I'm just curious, let's see. Yeah, raise my, okay, good. Maybe, maybe a little more sensitive this last week than the week before, hopefully. Maybe going to be a little more sensitive this coming week. Uh, but the more important question is, did you allow yourself to be turned? Some, because it just happens so subtly, you know, like we said last week, where that little tugboat says, uh, of his spirit, says, wait three seconds and hold the door. Don't complain that, the, that your line's slower <laughs> than their line. You know, apologize. And we either ignore or we respond. Uh, but remember, we not only have to give the captain of our salvation permission to come aboard, but we must then surrender command, turn over control, and the hardest part of all, for the rest of our lives, resist the urge to grab the wheel, <laughs> to grab that wheel when his, his tugboat-like spirit goes to work on us, trying to turn us around. Turning us tankers around, that's no easy task with that gentle little bump, bump, bump. But as we saw last week, our captain is loud and clear to those who turn their ears to truth. We saw this last week, and that's what I want to build off of, because we didn't build off that last week, and so today... I've got some interesting analogies coming up. Uh, but as Paul warned, warned Timothy about those ears, he said they, and hopefully we're not they, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Ooh. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. Just refusing to open his word is turning our ears away from the truth. When you clearly hear him say, you should apologize, you say, no, 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 not yet. My pride's in the way. Turn in the ear. I turn my ear away a lot. So I just confess that to you. I just, because it's really good to confess that. Frees us. So that we can learn to turn our ear to truth and his voice. And then, if you're them, if you're them, then, whether we know it or not, in that moment, we've turned on our own tugboat and pushed it away. Because he gives us that power, free will and all, to grieve his spirit, to callous up and send it away. I don't want to be them. I don't want to be them, Lord. Therefore, then, Paul writes to the tankers in Rome, and same verse, the last couple weeks, but it might be the same verse next week, too, because there's so much to unpack. Therefore, Paul writes to those tankers in Rome, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, God's mercy, you know, wherein Christ offered his body as a sacrifice for our sin. 
We'll be taking communion today in memory of that. So with that, in view of God's mercy, wherein Christ offered his body as a sacrifice for our sin. Okay, in view of God's mercy, uh, he urges us to offer your bodies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. A very different thing. Holy, we talked about that, set apart, dedicated, and pleasing, and pleasing to God. Well, you know it's pleasing to God. Turn the ear to truth. Okay, I'll apologize. Okay, I'll hold the door. Okay, I'll open your word. This is your spiritual act of worship. We, we, we don't seem to have that definition of worship in our head. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform, unconform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. A pattern of this world. Uh, but be transformed. Be, be allowing transformation to happen. Be allowing that bump, bump, bump to turn you around little by little. How? By the renewing of your mind. How? By turning your ears toward truth. Then, and what a promise, then you, and that you is to anyone who will do it. So that you can be you. If it is, it's written to you and me. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. As good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, whenever we talk about God's will, we have to be really careful to talk about what kind of, uh, there's different aspects to his will. So what will are we not talking about? What part of God's will are we talking about? We'll just sum it up real quickly. Paul is not talking about God's supreme will of authority. You know, his control over all creation, which, God, uh, which uh, Paul says right before this, is beyond our tracing out. And which we discussed in the Lord's Prayer Guide, the LPG, His will will be done. No. Paul is referring to what we call God's collaborative will of command. The part of His will where He tells us what to do and then we do it with Him and partner up. So that's, that's the will that we get to test and approve. It's His, it's his rules, His laws, His instructions uh, like to worship Him above all else, uh, to grow in godly uh, uh, habits, to serve and support others in his name, to share his salvation, those, those things. His, his will, his, his collaborative will of command. These are the rules of godliness that we talked about last week. Last Sunday, Paul was saying uh, that an athlete just is not crowned unless... It competes according to the rules. And we go, rules, yuck, I hate rules. I hate rules. Yeah, but now rules is just another word for what's spoken of throughout the Bible. Law, God's law. You go, I, yuck, I hate God's law. I hate the word law more than I hate rules. Yeah, I understand, but no, not yuck. Not when applied correctly. You see, the Pharisees and their ilk did a real number on, on the reputation of the law. And mostly what we find, uh, uh, so what we dislike about it is how misrepresented it can be, especially by legalistic believers even today. And so we need to have the right definition in our head so that we can say, oh, not yuck. 
Not yuck at all. If it's that, I didn't know it was that. So here's one verse that should just do that for us. It's Proverbs 31, where it describes like the perfect noble wife who speaks with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. Put that and just drive that right in your head. It's the, the law of kindness. The law of kindness, the rules of kindness. The instructions of true, and not just kindness, true kindness, eternal kindness, God's kindness. That's the law that the Lord is determined to put in our mind so we can work it down into our heart as we test it and approve it. And that's why one who turns away his ear from hearing the law of true kindness. I don't want to hear. Even his prayer is an abomination. That's harsh. Yeah, but it's based on something other than truth. And so that little voice of God comes and says, you know what true kindness would do? Apologize. Nope. Well, I hope you're not planning on praying to me anytime soon. Because <laughs> you just said no to the law of kindness. What are you going to pray? Lord, will you help me with no? Go apologize. Let's get the, let's got to play by the rules. You know I'm preaching to myself. You can always tell my preachers preaching to themselves because then their voice goes up and they start yelling because it's like, oh man, get that out of me, Lord. Plus Char, Char's here, so you know, she knows. Get that stuff out of him, Lord. <laughs> so God's supreme, to know God's supreme, and this is why the God's supreme will of authority that this is the one people act like we can know and control. But to know God's big old supreme will of authority over creation, we would need some kind of magical divine crystal ball. And it doesn't exist. We pretend it does. It doesn't. But to know his rules of kindness, well, we just need his divine word. Pretty much lays it out. Because when we open his word, well, he opens his mouth. And he speaks to us. And then we get it in our head, and we test it, and approve it, and get it into our heart. If our ears are turned to the truth. But I don't know. I've been doing this a long time, decades even, and uh, I just realized that the other day. <laughs> I've worked at this church. Well, let's see, 930313. Oh my goodness, I've worked here 38 years. And I'll tell you, over those years, I can tell you, most believers seem to prefer the crystal ball approach, but there is no crystal ball approach. But they seem to appreciate it, uh, uh, approach it that way because. It's what I call divination. I'm going to divine what his divine will or thoughts are. Divination doesn't require transformation. It just requires a strong sensation. Oh, I'm feeling it. I'm really feeling this. And way too many believers want to go that route because it's so easy. So we turn our ears and tell ourselves and deceive ourselves that we can surely divine his will through our feelings and impressions unfiltered by his word, by being encumbered with that. I'm feeling it, it must be God. And no, that's why we're told to test our very subjective impressions and uh, to test those who claim to speak on his behalf and to test them by the word of God because God's will will never contradict God's word. But we sure do. 
We sure do. I, I have. I look at my past and I go, oh, yeah, I felt that real strong. And uh, what was I doing? Ignoring the scriptures? Trying to, I'm so trying to walk my life now and have been for maybe the last decade, really just trying to reset my course by his scriptures. The scripture says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of, guess what, of this world, the one we're supposed to be renewed from, this world. I'll just, I'll, I'll end this thought on this. I have heard so many people uh, over the years speak with great conviction regarding what they felt God had told them. They just knew it. Even though I then, you know, just as politely as possible, showed them that it was clearly out of step with Scripture. Didn't slow them down. No, they knew that was God because they had that feeling. So that's not you. That's not me. That's not his place. Tell you, we don't confuse, okay? We don't confuse a sensation for revelation without solid scriptural confirmation. God wants you to have feelings. God wants you, God wants his word to be so rich in your heart that you can just feel truth. That is the goal. But testing our thoughts according to his word is one of the biggest ways he renews our mind. And so until you can instantly apply his word to the feeling, like you got, oh, I know, and you know why, because it says in, until you can do that, then you got to go there. Is this thought, right? Anyway, it's, a, it's also a big reason so many believers are confused about his will, because they're just not familiar with his word. But this is how he sets us up to test and approve that his will actually is good and pleasing and perfect because so often we're following what we think is his will when we're following a feeling that really isn't his will and then it doesn't work out and we blame him. Unconforming to the ways of this world by the power of God's word is our truest act of worship. Far more than singing in a church. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road because it requires a daily living sacrifice on your part, on my part. That's why he loves it. He wants that daily living sacrifice of trust and love and responding to his calling. Bump, bump, bump. Open my word. But it can't be mere mechanical compliance. He, oh, he hates that. He hates, you don't tick off the boxes because like you're earning something. It's got to be, you're part of his place, which means our outside behavior is an authentic, genuine representation, a reflection of the light of the new covenant that has made its way into our heart. It's real. It's true. Because this is the covenant I will make, declares the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. I will put my law in their minds. Right here, meditate. God put it in their minds. And then, that way, write it on their hearts. To which Paul adds in the New Testament, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Unless you have a heart of stone. This is how he renews us, by getting his word into our mind. Then we can test it by putting it into action. First, you have to know it. What he wants, the Spirit will help you out there. 
Then we test it by putting it into action. And then by experiencing the truth of it firsthand, slowly, over time, bump, 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 we can approve it. Yeah, that, that's, that's absolute truth. And that then will move it into our heart. But if we turn our ears away from truth, we'll end up with a heart of stone and abominable prayers. There's a very good, very big reason that we are told do not conform any longer. Unconform right now. Very good reason that that has to be in it because we are conformers by nature. Imitators. From childhood on, we play and work and learn and grow and change by conforming constantly to what we see and want to be. Ah, I want to dress like her. I want my hair like her. That's the ladies. I just feel like this sounds like me saying it. I want my hair like her. Uh, No, mine is, man, I wish I had muscles like him. Ain't going to happen, but I can have a wish. Okay. Grow and change by conforming to what we see, want to be. There's really only two choices. When you boil it all down, good and evil. Which one are you going to imitate? Since we're conformers, we must consciously unconform from our self-serving culture. And I think the secret for believers is just never settle for whatever level of renewal you currently have. This is fantastic. Enjoy it for today. Hopefully you can say... It's a little better than it was last week. It's a little more than it was last year. But next week and next year, it should be more and better than it is now. No, I was talking about we come here to get better. Not by grunting and straining, but by relaxing and listening and allowing and responding. Just don't settle for whatever current level of renewal you have. And then after that, we must deliberately choose to become what I like to call a genuine imitation. We're going to imitate something, so let's imitate the genuine thing. John writes, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Unconform from anything that doesn't fit with the word, and then try to start conforming to that which does, and listen to his voice. Let him do the... Let him do the heavy lifting. You just respond. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. It's as simple as that. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. You want someone to imitate? Imitate God. We're told all throughout Scripture how he thinks and how he feels. Imitate that. (laughs) Conform to that. In this way... Love is made complete, mature among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in uh, this world, we are like him. He doesn't want to get us out of the world. He wants us to have an impact on the world. The Lord wants to give us bit by bit and bump by bump a mind that sees and, and thinks and feels like his. You know, when Jesus prayed for his disciples and surprisingly enough, prayed for us, Uh, the night before the cross, he said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, because there's only the two that we're going to imitate. Conform to one, unconform from one. 
Uh, protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Uh, adding, uh, your word is truth. That was it. Your word is truth. You see, God's word must become my foremost counselor for making my decisions and then my highest benchmark for evaluating the results because it allows me to have an eternal perspective which I'm not capable of. And because the spirit of God uses the word of God to make us like the son of God. And Jesus goes on to say, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now here he prays for us now. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. And don't think when he prayed that he didn't know us. You see, it's crucial that we incrementally unconform from the pattern of this self-serving world with its putrid and fetid me-first philosophies that, according to Revelation 18.5, stinks to high heaven. Let's not, let's not conform to that. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. They don't get it. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. But stay humble, because like the former, uh, you, were, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I was. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of, of this world, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts instead of his. But God, Dad, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were stinking dead in transgressions. The term Paul uses for transforming, he says, be transformed. I mentioned it last week, but I didn't expand on it. Expound on it. Uh, it's a Greek word that gives us our word for metamorphosis. You know, like how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Be metamorphed, metamorphosized? I'm not sure. Is there a word? <laughs> Can you use it that way? Be metamorphosed. Uh, be transformed. The creature that goes into that cocoon is the same creature that comes out. But the change is so transformative that it's, it's really hard to think of it as the former self that it once was. I hope that's true of each of us. But I do know this. I know this for each and every one of you and myself. God wants us to undergo a mind metamorphosis. A renewal that reaches way deeper than Christian behaviorism. That's a technical term. It just sounds awful. Christian behaviorism, uh, which can be achieved. It's, it's just making yourself behave like something, to look like something. It can be achieved on the surface through mental effort. Yeah, that stinks. That stinks to high heaven too. So how does a mind, 
How does a mind metamorphosis happen? Well, I'm going to stick with the tanker analogy. We've got to reset our cruise control. Every tanker is equipped with a cruise control system, an autopilot, the tanker autopilot. So if we want to change direction mid-course, which is what our Father is all about, by the way, us changing direction mid-course, again and again and again, well, you got a couple choices. We can, you know, you can just force the wheel against the autopilot with that behaviorism. I can just make this happen even though everything inside me don't want to. Or you can reset the autopilot and let go for good. Because in a wrestling match with that relentless autopilot, guess who's going to wear out first and fall back to the old heading? Just look inward, understand what we're, who we're fighting. Remember last week we talked about how Paul's fighting himself? He wants to land those blows on himself. Our mindsets and viewpoints and demeanors and bearings and attitudes and habits and, and false beliefs forcefully work to prevent our transformation. But God's word resets our autopilot. That's why it's word so important. Son of man, receive every word I've spoken into your heart. Have ears to hear. You see, as we surrender more and more control, as we more and more, you know, trust him, get to know his heart, he resets that autopilot so that we can, so we can relax let it go. We should picture ourselves resetting those controls every time we read or hear or discuss or meditate on the narrow straits of dad's word. That's what we're doing. We're resetting that control, getting that heading going in the right direction. But it's so incremental that sometimes we don't think it matters if we skip it or miss it. We don't think it's doing that much. That's as much as it does. That's, what it, that's how it works. Bum, bum, bum. And you'll know you're growing when you start to feel a certain kind of what I call righteous anxiety. You should start to feel restless when it's just been way too long since you went to that control room to reset the autopilot. Because, big reason, reset minds down here. Reset minds down here. Quickly acclimate and return from that narrow path to those old neuro paths. I don't think we understand how quickly our renewed, spirit-filled, God-passionate, Jesus-loving mind just goes numb to all the, the evil that's around us. If Char's going to be gone for the evening and I have to cook for myself, I like to microwave vegetables. It's just easy. You poke with a fork and you throw it in the microwave. I like, and I like broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. Love the Brussels sprouts. And if you've ever microwaved a bag of Brussels sprouts, you know that it smells up the house. And so on the star will walk in, and she's hit by a wall of stink. And it's like, oh, wow. Well, you've been cooking. <laughs> Talk about the smell of death. My goodness. I, had, I was trying to decide which, uh, which picture to use. I, couldn't, I didn't know which one was more uh, poetic uh, 
to the point, the simply steamed or the lightly sauced. But five minutes in, five minutes in, and Char is no longer bothered by the stink. Why? Because our sensitivity acclimates to our surroundings that quickly. However, if we were to step outside, go for a walk, get a breath of fresh air, it very quickly renews and resets our sensitivity. That's kind of that autopilot. It, it just, oh. Then when we return, <laughs> we immediately realize, wow, I see what you're talking about. We immediately realize how much we acclimated to the stink. This world stinks to high heaven, we're told. And we, accl we acclimate to it very quickly. And God's word gives us that, that breath of fresh air. Maybe it's because we acclimate so quickly to this world that the Lord said, regarding his new covenant, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit. And I loved, I looked up new and spirit, and each one said, literally, new is fresh, and literally, spirit, breath, a fresh breath. I thought, oh, oh, I like that. Fresh breath in them. New spirit. I will remove from them their heart of stone. That's good. Give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, by his spirit, through his word, our spiritual senses are refreshed and restored and bit by bit and bump by bump renewed. If you remember or use renews it, that's been around a long time. Oh, renews it to. Uh, I'm curious, raise your hand. Anybody remember the old slogan when they first came out? Renews it, do's it. Oh, well, good. We've got a handful. Yeah. Renews it, renews it, renews it, do's it. I, I don't know why that's stuck in my head, but it is. Well, that's what we need to do's. We need to renews it daily with God's breath of fresh air in our stale hall. Renews it, does do's it. <laughs> so use it or lose it. Uh, remember last week what Paul wrote to Timothy, who after all was the Listerian, or as I like to say, the Listerine. All scripture is God-breathed. It's all a breath of fresh air. And you spend some time in it with your ears turned to truth simply because you want to know him, you want to seek his face. Then when you close it and step into the world, you realize, well, there's a stink I've been getting used to. Ooh, and it's on me. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, bump, rebuking, bump, correcting, bump, and training in righteousness, bump, 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 bump. <laughs> and to those believers whose minds are set they're ready to conform, to imitate our Father. Their minds are set on unconforming from this decaying world's self-indulgent pattern by daily renewing their heading on the narrow straight to more and more think and see and feel the way our Savior thinks and sees and feels to those, to those people. Paul adds that wonderful promise, then you will be able to test and approve, analyze and appreciate 
what God's will is. A law of true kindness, good, pleasing, and perfect is his will, which we will grow to know more and more with more and more hindsight. I'll close with this analogy. It's, let's say you're lost, you're hiking all alone, way up high on a treacherous trail, and you're hungry. You don't know what you'll do. But then you find a bag of provisions just uh, around the bin. It's like, wow, food, blanket, just the things you need. And so you walk on. And it happens again and again at exactly the right time until you wouldn't dare leave that path because of the unseen joy set before you. Well, it's just around the bend. Eventually, even your hunger pains will automatically trigger hope. It's like resetting the autopilot. I'm hungry. Oh, there's a bend ahead. And there's the hope for what you've come to trust is just around the corner. <laughs> Perfect timing. So, <laughs> so why couldn't have been better? Ta-da! So, <laughs> and boy, I like your self-confidence. That's your ringtone. <laughs> Ta-da! It's me! Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm making myself choke. Just around the river bend. So stay the course, set your heading, and steady as you go, let's pray. Father God, we love you and adore you and now continue to worship you as you reset our autopilots and refresh our sensitivity by the fresh breath of your spirit. Holy Spirit, inspire us and empower us to consciously unconform from our self-centered world. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for saving our soul and setting our heading. And everybody said, amen. amen. <laughs>